Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. Are you thirsty? Are you hungry for God's Word? Hopefully we'll get a meal at the end of the day. And this day is so special that of all the days that are actually mentioned in the Bible, this day it's totally different than all the other days. And we don't fully understand, I don't think we can fully comprehend what this day will accomplish in the future. You know, I know we don't like to play like, you know, favor, favors about the God's holidays, but we do have favor days. Like I myself, I love Passover. It's a day that is so rich in all these symbolisms and meanings. I would say that Passover is one of my favor feast. How many of you would say that Day of Atonement is my favorite day, my favorite feast? Sister Lisa and Sister Olivia, just the two persons. Well, that's great. I would say that's my probably third favorite day after the Feast of Passover, Feast of Tabernacle, and then I'll go with the Day of Atonement. But why this day is so different than all the other days? I'd like to open the Bible to Leviticus today. Start from Leviticus chapter 23. Leviticus chapter 23. And brethren, I have no idea how long I'm going to be today. I didn't even bother to just, you know, check approximately. I know it's a day of atonement. We can't rush to anything. We can't go back to work. We can't go back home and eat till sunset, which is way after 7 o'clock. So I just realized, I just said to my wife, if I hit the one hour, just let me know. I'll try to wrap it up. So I have no idea how long I'm going to be today here. But hopefully we're going to have a nice time together. It's better to be together and listen to God's word than, you know, thinking about food or something else. So Leviticus chapter 23. And we just go quickly here. Let's say Passover. What happened on Passover? What do we have to do for the Passover feast? What the ancient Israelites had to do for the Passover feast? They have to provide the lamb. They had to do something. Look here in verse 6. Just basically says, on the 15th day of the same month is the feast of unleavened bread to the Lord, and seven days you must eat unleavened bread. That was the contribution that people had to do something while celebrating the feast day. The Passover lamb, eat, eat, the bread of, eat unleavened bread for seven days, and at the same time remove all the level, leaven from their quarters. Now, when we just keep over to verse 14, now we're talking about the, the feast of first fruits here. And in verse 14 here, it says, You shall eat neither bread, nor parched grain, nor fresh grain, until the same day that you have brought an offering to your God. It shall be a statute forever to all your generation in all your dwellings. Basically, the, the harvest might be ready. You may even harvest some of the grains. But God says you are not allowed to eat it till you offer it first to the Lord, and after you offer it, then you are allowed to eat it. But there is again another holiday. There's something happening. There's something we contribute, something we share here. It's a two-way stream. Now we go to verse 17. And this verse is about the Feast of Weeks, that we call, which we call the Pentecost. And here at 17 is the same thing. And you shall bring from your dwellings two wave loaves of two tenths of an ephah. They shall be of fine flour. They shall be baked with leaven. They are the first fruits of the Lord. So the people show up to worship, they have to contribute something. God is saying, you come, it's a holy day, it's a holy convocation, you're not supposed to work, but when you come, you also bring something, you share something. Now, when you go to the Feast of Trumpets, it's the same story here. In verse 24, when it's a memorial, in verse 24, it said, speak to the children of Israel, saying, in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath rest of a memorial, of blowing of trumpet, a holy convocation. So you can see that everybody somehow, in some way, is involved in celebrating this God festival. Feast of Tabernacle is a full of all the symbolism. And here in verse, in verse uh, 40, 
It's just that the one aspect of the Feast of Tabernacle that Israel is were recommended to, that they should build a tabernacle here in verse 40, and you shall take for yourself on the first day of the fruit of beautiful trees, branches of palm trees, the buds of leafy trees, and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. So we can see all these holidays have something that, you know, we come in front of God and we contribute something. Now, when it comes to the Feast of Atonement, the only commandments for us is to fast and not to work. Look at it in Leviticus chapter 23 and verse 26, the instructions about the Feast of Atonement here. Verse 26. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Also the tenth day of the seventh month shall be a day of atonement. It shall be a holy con- convocation for you, and you shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. And you shall do no work on the same day, for it is the day of atonement, to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. And look the severity of the punishment. There is none for any other holidays. God says you are not supposed to work, you are not supposed to do this, you are not supposed to do other stuff. But especially when it comes to the Feast of Atonement. Verse 29. For any person who is not afflicted in soul on that same day shall be cut off from his people. And the next verse, verse 30. And any person who does, who does any work on the same day, that person, will, that person I will destroy from among his people. You shall do no manner of work. It shall be a statute for you forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. What is God is trying to tell us? God is not asking us for any contribution here. You don't bring any loves. You don't know anything. What I want you to do, refrain from work. No matter work, not any work. Since you don't need to eat, you don't have to do anything in the kitchen. You don't have to do any preparation. I just want you to, don't work on this day, and I want you to fast. Remain for, you know, 24 hours period without water, without any food. And God is very strict about it. He says, if you're not going to do two of these things, I will remove you from the nation right away. That's how serious God is. Okay, so why this day is so much different? Just because of these two aspects. Just to fast and in a severe prohibition against work than other holidays, God is saying that we can actually make something for us to eat on this day. We're not supposed to do anything. And All the other God's holidays we call feast days. We feast on all the other days. When you fast, when you don't drink and you don't eat, we can call it actually a feasting, that we're actually feasting. We feast on the word of God. But it's a totally different feast. Now, it's also not working on this day. And it's, you know, it's so crucial because we forget about it, that, you know, we have so many distractions in our world, right? We have text, we have emails, we have all the other stuff. But I think, I believe what it got saying here. Not work, it means not any other manner of work. You should, we should totally separate ourselves from anything on this day. Put everything inside. You know, use it in emergency, but I'm saying, you know, don't get involved into any of the activity. It's a God's holy day. Don't, don't be about your own business. This day is about God's business. That's what, what would you represent about this Day of Atonement. We'll go to, the, to more details a little bit later on. Now, to this Day of Atonement, there is also another aspect that many people forget to mention. And many people, you know, forget to even get into more details about this other aspect about the Day of Atonement. Just flip over a few pages to chapter 25. Leviticus chapter 25. And let's say here, in verse 1, there is another aspect of the Feast of Atonement here. It starts from in 20, chapter 25, Leviticus chapter 25 and verse 1. And it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I give you, then the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. Six years you shall sow your field, and six years you shall prune your vineyards and gather its fruits. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. 
You shall neither sow your field nor prune your vineyards. What grows on its own accord of your har- harvest you shall reap. Not gather the grapes of your unattended wine for the desire of rest for the land. And the Sabbath produce of the land shall be food for you, your male and female servants, your hired men, and the strangers who dwell with, with you. And verse 7, and this, the food of the land should be for your livestock and the beasts that are in your land. All its produce shall be for food. There's just the beginning to something greater, but just to emphasize this, why is this so important? Because we not just keep the seventh day of rest, the nation of Israel should also keep a, a seven year of rest, a, a, a rest of the land, every, every seven year on a consecutive basis. Every seven year, after each six years, there should be a land rest. And think about the benefits that this, red would, this rest, the, the land rest, will bring to humankind, to hum, humanity. Imagine if you work on a farm, and I know some of us work on a farm, so they know how hard this work is on a farm. And every six years, you have some kind of a vacation. Just not to till the ground is a big benefit. It's a huge benefit. What would you do with all the free time? And also at the same time, all the payments in the land of Israel were supposed to be suspended for a year. So if you want some money to somebody... Since you don't have any production, you can repay. So everybody, everything is on wait, on hold for a one year. Everything resume in year number eight. Think about it. No payments to worry about. You don't have to pay all these expenses. You don't have to pay your debt. You get a break. What would you do with your free time? I think people will use it to dedicate their time to God, study the word of God, use for a pilgrimage, Go to Jerusalem. I have all the time in the world now. I don't have to worry. I don't have to pick up the harvest. And you know, it says even here at the end, whatever the land produces, we're supposed to share it even, even with the beasts that lived on the land. We share it to everybody, to strangers, to everybody. Now, why we need to count this every, every six years and every seven years, the land, 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 uh, the land rest, look what it leads to, something else, something greater. Verse 8. The same chapter, chapter 23, 25, and verse 8. And you shall count seven Sabbaths of years for yourself, seven times seven years. And the time of the seventh Sabbath of years shall be to you a 49 years. Every 49 years, every 50 years, verse 9, then you shall cause the trumpet of the Jubilee to sound on what day? Is the tenth day of the seventh month, on the day of atonement, you shall make the trumpet to sound throughout all your land. At least, everybody in their generation would have a chance to experience something, God's grace at its best, so to speak. At least one, at least every generation would have a shot to experience what the Jubilee is all about. What was the Jubilee all about? Just keep reading. Verse 10, and you shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you, and each of you shall return to his possession, and each of you shall return to his family. And the next verse Verse 11, that 50th year shall be a jubilee to you, and you shall neither sow nor reap what grows of its own accord, nor gather the grapes of your attendant vine, for it is a jubilee, it shall be a holy to you, you shall eat its produce from the field. Verse 13, in this year of jubilee, each of you shall return to his own possession. And this thing happened every 50th year at the jubilee on the 10th day of this sacred month, the seventh month of the year. Not on any other day. At least once in this generation, they were supposed to practice something that's going to lead us to the future. Why I bring all of this thing? What was the difference between the Sabbath rest and the Jubilee year? As I mentioned, one thing. During the Sabbath years, the, the loans, the payments were postponed. They were just hold for a year. During the Jubilee, trumpet. 
everything was reset to zero. Your debt was supposed to be canceled. If you lost your land, you had the right to return to your father's possession, whatever it was before. That was your God-given right here in, the, in, the, in God's law. And what does it mean for us? Because we lost our possession, we lost our inheritance. To who? Satan the devil. And I personally, I strongly believe when Christ is going to come on this earth, I believe that it will be exactly on the Jubilee year, because God never loses his count of his time. He knows exactly what year, what time, and what Jubilee we passed through from the beginning till this day. And I believe that when Jesus Christ comes and the trumpet is going to be sound on the Jubilee year, we're going to go back to our possession that we lost to Satan and the devil a long time ago. Everything will be reset. Everything will be restored to the way that it used to be. So that's, I think, is another critical aspect that many people actually missed it when they talk about the Feast of Atonement. But this Jubilee is part of the Feast of Atonement. It's part of the 10th day of the 7th month. Now, when we keep, when you think about Feast of Atonement, we keep about the fasting, we keep about the Jubilee, there is a nice verse that I read it so many times that people take out of context. In Isaiah chapter 58, just turn your Bible to Isaiah chapter 58, If you keep in mind the jubilee, if you keep in mind the fasting, we keep in mind what is supposed to happen during the jubilee year, how everybody should be released, how everybody should be, you know, have a new start in their life. And right here in chapter 58 and in verse, in verse 3, you know, the people ask question. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls? And you take no notice. Why? In fact, in the day of your fast, if and pleasure, and exploit all your laborers. Indeed, you, you fast for strife and debate, and to strike with the fist of wickedness. You will not fast as you do this day, to make your voice heard on high. And just on a quick note, there is not much in history that you can try in any literature, either be, you know, in Judaism or anywhere else, that actually people are practicing this year of Jubilee. And, you know, for obvious reasons, who wants to postpone the payments on your debt, right? Nobody wants to do that. Who wants to hold it that, you know, who wants to let your brother go free every seven years? Who wants to let all the slaves go free in the 50th year and you lose everything? You know, who wants to let, you know, all this, all this land that I acquire in my lifetime, now I have to give it back to people who don't deserve it, so to speak. You see what I mean? That's why this law was very hard to, to practice by the people. And we don't have biblical story, history. We don't have any outside of the Bible history that this, actually, that this law was ever practiced by the Israelites. They were not practicing it. And that's why here, they ask God, you know, we fasting, we're doing all this stuff that you ask us, and you don't, you don't answer, you don't, you, don't, you don't listen to us. And in verse 6, just skip down to verse 6, in the same chapter it says, This is not the fast that I have chosen, and God answering, he says, To loose the bonds of the wickedness, to undo the heavy burden, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke, is not to share your bread with the hungry, and that you, and that you bring to your house to the poor who are cast out, when you see the naked, that you cover him, and you will hide yourself from your own flesh, that your light shall break forth like the morning, your healing shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you, the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. So people were supposed to be, supposed to do at the end of Jubilee, when they were sending all the slaves, when they were free them to go to their own land, to their own possessions, we're supposed to give them a gift. They're supposed to give them some money. They're supposed to give them some starting, you know, so to speak, cash. So when they go back, they have something to start on, something like that. People became greedy. They didn't want to do that. They didn't want to let the people go free. They want to hold them forever and ever and ever. And God says, that's not the fast that I want from you. That's not the fast that they command you to do. So that's just, you know, a little bit on side. But I also believe that something also important happened on that day in ancient Israel, and this is just a 
This is just my conclusion that I came to. I don't have to be right. We can talk about it a little bit later. But you can see, and, and, and if I have any valid point on it, if you go to Exodus chapter 40, after the Israelite was, they were free from Egypt, and they built the tabernacle, the year passed by. Now Exodus 40 here in verse 2, just to establish the timeline so we know where we are. Exodus chapter 40 and verse 2. On the first day of the first month, so we know this is the first day of the first month, you shall set up the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. So, a year later, they set up the tabernacle, okay, and all this stuff. And as we come to Exodus, now we go to Numbers chapter 10. I want to show you something else here. Numbers chapter 10. Numbers chapter 10 and... In verse 11. Now it, Numbers chapter 10 in verse 11. Now it came to pass on the 20th day of the second month in the second year that the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle of the testimony and the children of Israel set out from the wilderness of Sinai on their journey. So we know the timing when they actually started the journey to the promised land, right? So we know exactly when they started. Throughout this time, they come to some problems along the way. There is some rebellion of people. People rebel against Moses. There is Miriam, his sister, and Aaron kind of rebel against Moses. So they hold all the come together for a number of weeks and a number of months. But eventually, eventually, right here, in, uh, when you go to Numbers 12, just flip a few pages over to Numbers 12. And in verse 16, now suddenly and afterwards, the people moved from Hezerat and camped in the wilderness of Paran, just across the promised land. And in verse 13 here. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, verse 2, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel, from each tribe of their fathers. You shall send a man, everyone a leader among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord. All of the men who were heads of the children of Israel. So they sending spawn. Now we will try to figure out what time of year it was, right? And it's very interesting how it says when you read the commandments here in chapter 13, what it's actually say here that the Lord command Moses to send out the spies, to send the men to spy the land, you know, in the promised land, right? But hold your place here in Numbers, hold your fingers here in Numbers, and just go to Deuteronomy chapter 1. Hold your place there. And now Moses is retelling the story, their history, a little bit later to the second generation. And in Deuteronomy, chapter 1 and in verse 20, look how Moses rewrites the history now. And I said to you, you have come to the mountains of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving you. The Lord is giving you the land. He says, look, the Lord your God, verse 21, has set the land before you. You go up and you possess it. And the Lord God of your fathers has spoken to you. Do not fear or be discouraged. But look at verse 22. And every one of you came near to me and said, let us send men before us and let them search out the land. For us and bring back word to us of the way by which we should go up and of the cities into which we shall come. So you might see like a, there's a little bit contradictions that you know in the numbers God asked them to go and spy. Well actually God told them go and you possess it. People are fearful and they want let us and spy first. And we know as, there, as the, of the results what happened the spies came back. What time of year, what time of season they actually came back. Let's go back to numbers. Let's go to back. Let's go back to Numbers chapter 13. We're trying to figure out what time of year they're doing all this activity. What time of year they came back to report it, okay? So verse 23, look what it says here. Then they came to the valley of Askel, and there cut down a branch with one cluster of grapes. When do the grapes usually get ready? What time of year? Is it springtime? Is it summertime? Is it fall time? Where the grapes were harvested, just right before the Feast of Tabernacle, 
right? And just to make sure, and they carried between two of, two of them on a pole, and they also brought some of the pomegranates and figs. When to harvest pomegranates? I Google it, just to make sure. The same time, I've harvested the grapes, okay? Just go back to verse 20. The same chapter, just verse 20. And there's the commandment. It says, whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are forests there or not, be of good, good courage and bring some of the fruits of the land. And now it's very specific. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grape. So let me tell you what I see. Let me tell you what I believe. You don't have to agree. It's not something that, you know, this church got in, you know, in the doctrine. It's just my personal, you know, observation. I believe when the people were supposed to go enter the promised land, it was exactly on the Jubilee year, when they're supposed to sound the trumpet and just they should march in and go and possess the land. And this is actually this day that they refused to go in and possess the land. And the timing would be perfect. On the year of Jubilee, they will have reclaimed the rights which was given to Abraham a long time ago, and they will be legal possessor of the land that was promised by them, by God of Abraham. And by the end of the, I, that's what I believe, that at the end of the Feast of Tabernacle, they will have, on, the, on the last great day, they will have a great new start into the promised land. And they refused. That's what I see. That's how I can conclude it. We don't have dates, specific dates, but I think you know, just by looking at some of the similarities, of it, you know, some looking at some of the actions here that happened and the timing of the seasons, I think it's safe to say that that was way before the Feast of Tabernacle. Okay. Now, it wouldn't be a day of atonement if it wouldn't touch on Leviticus 16. And... That's also another reason why the day is so important. Because there is no any other holiday so specific, so rich in symbolism, and so rich in, you know, in this ritual as the day of atonement here. The whole chapter, the whole chapter 16, is dedicated to this one single holiday. The whole chapter 16 is dedicated to the one, this one holy day. And just look at this verse, uh, look at the chapter 16, and look at verse 2, instruction that came to Moses. And Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron your brother not to come at just any time into the holy place, inside the veil, before the mercy seat, which is on the ark, lest he die, for I will appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. So there's another specific and clear warning. You gotta, when you come in, it's not anybody can walk in. Not anybody can walk into the holy of holiness. Only the Aaron, only the high priest could do it. And, and not at any time that high priest decided to go. Only once on the Day of Atonement, he was allowed to walk into the Holy of Holiness. Now we go to, just, just, you know, just go to verse 29. The verse that was read by Daniel to us today. And there's another, the harsh instructions repeated all over the Bible in verse 29. This shall be a statute forever for you. In the seventh month or the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict your soul. You should fast and do, not do, and do not work at all, whether a native of your own country or a stranger who dwells among you. Nobody should be allowed to do any type of work whatsoever. Verse 30, for on that day, the priest shall make atonement for you to cleanse you that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. And in verse 31, it is a Sabbath of solemn rest for you and you shall afflict your soul is a statute forever. So we see sprinkled throughout the Bibles all the harsh warning if you're going to disobey God on that day in any way or form. When it comes to eating or drinking or when it comes to working. This day is for God. This day for God, God is going to do amazing stuff for you. We have to afflict our souls, and we're not supposed to be about our own business. Just watch what's happening later. So just go to the beginning. And you know, what I did for the last few years, I actually look at some history sources. You know, when you read this chapter, we try to, 
you try to pinpoint all this ritual. Like, you know, you try to figure it out, what was taking place, one, two, three, four, five. You try to pray this as a sequence. I was having some difficulties just based on Leviticus chapter 16. So, you know, I did some research. I actually did, I actually read some, you know, Jewish sources just to say what they say, how the, I just wanted to see how they performed this day in the temple, at the temple was standing before Christ. So I'll try to share it to you, not into many, you know, great details, but just slowly try to share it so you can picture it, what is happening in this chapter, verse by verse by verse. And, you know, try to pay attention to whatever comes into your mind, okay? Just see what, what jumps to your mind as we go through all of it. So, as I said, God gave a warning, only high priest, not anybody, only high priest, the highest priest, the highest official in the nation, in the land, only this priest shall enter into the Holy of Holiness. Any other day, any other holiday, you know, usually every single average day, all the priests were changing who's going to sacrifice, doing what kind of sacrifice. On that day, high priest was doing everything in the temple. Actually, the high priest was separated from his family week before the Day of Atonement. Just in case if he touched something that is unclean and he become unclean, or let's say he will touch a dead body or something will die in his family, he was separated from his family a week before the Day of Atonement. And actually from that week on, before the Day of Atonement, he was performing all the sacrifices in the temple from the morning to evening, from the morning to evening. So he had to practice all of this thing so just when he comes to the Day of Atonement, he will be very careful to follow all the commandments that, you know, God required of them. That's how serious it was, okay? Also, at the same time, the high priest, the deputy was chosen for him. Usually the second in charge man, high priest, was also separated and also be at the priest quarters, separated for a week. They were together just in case if something happened. Let's say this guy died. We don't have a replacement for him, Okay. So that's how serious this holiday was for, the, was for the Jews when the temple was still standing there. Okay, that's how serious it was for them. Now, so as they were getting ready and preparing themselves, we know when we understand that everything in the temple had to start with the morning sacrifice and everything in the temple had to finish with the evening sacrifice. That was the order of the day. Every single day there was morning and evening sacrifice. Every single day. So all this ritual that happened here in book of Leviticus chapter 16 just, just started right before afternoon and lasted almost the entire day. Entire day, not just one hour or two hours and, you know, and people went back home and sit in their couches. It lasted almost the entire day, the whole day. So, uh, now the priest on the morning before, the, before the morning sacrifice, he would get up. All the other days, he would just wash his hands and wash his feet. He would put his garment, and he would officiate at the temple. On the Day of Atonement, before the morning sacrifice, he would actually, he would have to take a bath. So he would immerse himself in the water completely. He will get up, put his nice colorful garments for the morning sacrifice. He will finish the morning sacrifice, he will take the garments away. He would bathe his body again. He will wash his body, immerse his body again. One day a year, and now he will put his special atonement garments, which was all white and all made from linen, and that's on, the, on this specific day. And right to the altar, everything was prepared for him. There was a bull, young bull, that was already tied to a pole, just not far away from the altar. So if you read here in chapter, right here in 16, and in verse, like, uh, in verse 4, it says here that he shall put the holy linen tuning and the linen treasure on his body. He shall be girded with a linen sash and with the linen turban. He shall be attired. And he says, this holy garments, therefore he shall wash his body in water and put them on. So that's what he was, that was the first day before actually whatever he started in the Feast of Atonement. Now, what he would do, as he would put his clothes, his garments, linen garments, he would, he would walk straight to the ball that was tied close to the altar, okay? It was tied. He would walk to the ball. He would put his hand on the foreheads of the ball. And he would confess his sins and his household sins. He would confess on that ball. And he wouldn't, he wouldn't sacrifice the ball now, not yet. He would go back. He would go back. 
And at this time, what he would do, he would get a censer. You know what I mean? Censer, like a pen, fire pen, golden, made of gold, specifically for this day. And he would go, and he would go with that. He would go to the altar, and he would load, some, he would load into it some, you know, like a fire coals, very hot. He would load into it, and he hold it in his right hand, and he would hold some incense in his left hand. Okay, that's what, what he would do. So the first thing before anything else, he would walk into the Holy of Holiness with the, with the, with the golden censer, with the fire coals and the incense. He would stand, he would pause for a moment before the veil. He would eventually open it, he would go through, he would pour some incense on the fire coals, and then, you know, the, the, the aroma, the smoke of it would fill the room, and this room wasn't as that big, so we won't be able to almost see anything what was happening there. And he would just put it on the floor, and he would exit it. Okay? Now he would exit it. He would go, and, and now he would go. And they're also on the, on the opposite side, on the other side, there were two goats. And we know all the stories about two goats. And also beside the goats, there was another golden vessels. And there were two lots in the vessels. There were two lots. And one was written for the Yahweh. And the other was written for Azazel. And it was in the golden vessels. The high priest would come into it. And he was escorted by two other priests, that was his deputy, and the other priest on the left side were the chief priests of the divisions of priests that actually ministered the two weeks in the temple. They were, you know, scheduled to, to minister there. He would shake the vessels, keep shaking, he wouldn't look at it. Then he will open the cover, he will use his hands and take the lots into his two hands, one to the right side and one to the left hand. And, we'll, and he would proceed to the goats, and whatever order he would put them, them, you know, right hand on the right goat and left hand on the left goat. That's how they would separate the goat for the Yahweh and the goat for Azazel. And the goat for Azazel, they would identify. They would put a crimson, uh, what do you call it, a color, uh, yeah, something like that on the, on, on the horn of the goat. So they would know right away which goat goes where. And he would leave it like that. He would go to the bowl again, lay his hands on the bowl again, and now this time he would sacrifice the sins of all priesthoods. Every, all priesthoods. He would, he would confess the sins of all the priesthoods. And the high priest would actually slaughter the bull now. The other priest would hold the bull and try to get the blood into the golden vessels, right? And they were obviously mixing the blood all the time because if you don't mix the blood, it's going to become like a solid, right? So the priest was mixing it up. Now the high priest would take the vessels from the bull blood. He would enter the Holy of Holiness the second time, with the blood of the bull. So he will enter with the blood. He would put his finger into the blood. He would put into the blood. And he would consecrate. He would like, a, he would like you know, classic priest use it. He would do it seven times, just like this. And he would count aloud. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So other priests and people could hear that he actually doing according that he's actually doing according to the, to, the, to, to the rules. And you can read all this thing, you know, verse by verse as we're reading to. It gives you a more, you know, better idea of what was actually happening than we just try, try to stick to the Leviticus chapter 16, right? And it, and it says in verse 6 here, Then Aaron should offer the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself and make atonement for his son and for all his household. And in verse 7, and he shall take two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle. And verse 8, And Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats, one for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat, Azazel. And now when he would come back, now when he would come back, he would go back to the goats again. He would take the goat that was for the Lord. He would slaughter that goat, collect the blood of that goat in another golden vessels. He would take the golden vessels again, and we'll make another trip into the Holy of Holiness. Now with the goat, with, the, with, this, with this blood, he would exactly do the same thing as he did with the bull. He would do the seven time, consecrate, you know, the mercy seat and everything that was in there. For seven time, exactly the same thing. And he would come along. Now he would exit. He would exit the Holy of Holiness again. He would, he would spray the curtain before the Holy of Holiness again. With both bloods, the blood of the bull and the blood of the goat. And what he will do with the blood, he will pour them together into one vessel. All these bloods he will put into one, one vessel. He would walk back to the altar, and he will do the same thing. And he will do the same thing. He will sprinkle the altar seven times, as he did with the, 
as he did with the same thing as he did with the Holy of Holiness. And right here in verse 19, you can read it here about sprinkling the altar. He says that he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with the finger seven times, cleanse it and consecrate it from the unrighteousness of the children of Israel. So, as we go through all of this thing, there is one more thing that he needs to do, right? There is another goat, which is alive. So we go to this goat that was alive. He'll put his finger on his hands on it, and he would confess all the sins of the people on this live goat. All the sins of the people on this live goat, and, some, and, and we actually release this goat. There was a person designated for this task, but take the goat and actually walk it into the wilderness. The goat was not supposed to be killed. The Jews decided later on just to make sure that the goat will never come back. They decided to kill it, right? But the second goat was released by people. Somebody walked it actually into the wilderness. As the, as the goat was walking away from the temple and from the city, all this ritual was not, you know, there was not over yet. Now, there were other there were other sacrifices that were prescribed for this day. Like here, you can read it here in verse 3. And also part of it was not just young bull as a sin offering, but they also supposed to offer a ram as a burnt offering. So all the other offerings would took place right now at this time when the goat is walk away from the temple. He would perform all the others ritual, all the others, you know, sacrifices. And then when he finished with all of this thing, he would go again, he would take off his linen garments, he would, you know, wash his body. Now, just before he actually washed his body, he would actually have to come back for the last time to the Holy of Holiness and remove the golden censer with the fire on it. He would remove all of this thing, close the veil. And that was the ritual for the Day of Atonement for this high priest. Close the veil and nobody walked into it for another 12 months, for another, another Day of Atonement would come by. So that's what I found it. And, you know, I found it very interesting, as you know, try to look and try to match what they did with the scripture, if it makes sense, if it's with agreement with what the scripture says, but actually it does make agreement and it's looking good. And, and also before he actually changed his garment at the end, he would come out to the people, the high priest would come out to the people, and just from his memory, he would recite the verses for Leviticus chapter 23, as is known to us, he would recite to them, you know, some of the verses, just to make sure that people will hear it, that, he obeyed all the rules and all the commandments, and he will also bring the numbers, numbers 29, I think. There is also an offering made for the day. He would recite to the people so the people can hear that high priest actually performed all the commandments that were required on that day. And now after all of this, he would change his garment for his wine linen garment. He would his normal priestly garments. He would offer the evening sacrifice. And after the evening sacrifice, he was again take a bath, total bath, and we would change to regular. That was, that was done for him as a high priest on that day. The day would come to a close almost, almost at the evening time. So, as you can see, I ask you, if you grow, go through some of that, you know, as you read maybe on your own, and we probably, many of you have read this chapter many times. If I, I ask you if anything that comes into your, jumps into your mind as you go through all this process, you know, we try to imagine how they, how this day was done in the temple before. Is there anything that comes into your mind? If it is, just write it down. I'll give you time, a few seconds, just write it down. I'll make a mental note. We'll try to talk about the, during the sermon discussion. I'm sure nobody's in a rush to go anywhere today. It's a nice, beautiful day. So if something comes up into your, you know, that, you never see it before, or maybe, you know, we never noticed it before. Just, you know, just, just take a note. And it is also very important to remember some of the symbols, some of these articles that were taking place during the Day of Atonement, like censers and, you know, fire coals and, you know, temples and Holy of Holiness. And, you know, the why, the reason why, because it's easier to see when you go to the Book of Revelation, when you want to look at the future aspect of the Day of Atonement. Like, for example, if you go to Revelation chapter 8, Revelation chapter 8, Revelation chapter 8, 
and you know keep in mind all the all this all the symbolism keep in mind all this thing that were used for the day of atonement in the temple while the temple was standing now in verse in chapter 8 the revelation chapter 8 in verse 1 it says when he opened the seventh seal there was silence in heaven for about half an hour that's just because the trumpets and I saw the seventh angel who, who stand before God and to them were given seven trumpets. Then another angel, having a golden censer, should ring a bell, right? Golden censer, came and stood at the altar. We know where the altar was. And he was given much incense that he should offer with the praise of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. Then the angels took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth. And there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and earthquakes. So the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. And look what happened later on at the last trumpet that we actually heard in Kitchener, in, not in Kitchener, last for the face of trumpet last time when uh, Pastor Horan was speaking. Revelation chapter 11. Revelation chapter 11. And look at verse 15. That's the last trump. And the seven angels sounded. And there were loud noises in heaven saying. The kingdom of this world. Have become the kingdom of our Lord. And of, and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who sat before God on their throne fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give your thanks, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was and who is to come. Because you have taken your great power and reign, the nations were angry, and your wrath has come, and the time of the dead that they shall be judged, and that you, sh- and the, and the, and that you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. And now know what happened in verse 19. The last verse here on this chapter in the book of Revelation. And then when the temple of God was open in heaven. The temple of God was only open once. And only to one person. The high priest. But in verse 19. The temple of God was open in heaven. And the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple. And there were lightnings, noises, thunders and earthquakes. And a great hell. So I'm just. Telling that you know when you when you look at the symbolism and the part of the ritual that took place, the senses and altar, all this stuff, it's easier to go through the book of Revelation and you can see it. Actually, how this book, the book of Revelation, actually is revolved around the, the God's feast, starting from the Passover, going to feast of unleavened bread and trumpet and atonement, and the feast of tabernacle comes at the last chapter here. So. I know you guys are tired today. I can see your faces. You just go like, ah. Oh. So I skipped some of my stuff there. I didn't want to bore you today. But in Hebrew chapter 9, I decided to finish a little bit earlier. And maybe it will be better and more, more convenient. We have some kind of a discussion that just one person speaking. And it's not easy to speak when you, have a, when you, don't can, when you can't drink. Hebrew chapter 9. As I said before, that this day, a picture a day, that everything will be restored to its original order. Look what here in Hebrew chapter 9. And I'm just going to, there are so many verses here. There's all this heavenly sanctuary imaginary here. We're not going to go through all of this. But I just want to bring to your attention just the one verse here at verse 15. Chapter 9 and verse 15. And it says, and for this reason... He, the Jesus Christ, is mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgression under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of what? Of eternal inheritance. So, all humankind everywhere, some even though they don't know but what they need is the day of atonement. It's a day that all of us will come back to our rightful inheritance that was delivered to us from the beginning by God our Father. And and I know that you know many of us are excited about the Feast of Tabernacle. I'm excited too. We already planned for everything, you know. 
all the details planned, and we just can't wait to finish the work and just go to the car, jump to the car, and start driving. But, you know, let me tell you, we can't have the Feast of Tabernacle if we don't have the Feast of Atonement. We can't celebrate Tabernacle if we don't go to the Feast of Atonement. And this Feast is so serious, and it should be serious, not just for God, but for all of us. If God is so concerned about our well-being, and he gave us so many warnings how we're supposed to approach this day, not just lightly, not just think about food all day long and just, you know, like, oh, you know, I'm just sitting here and sleeping all day long and just waiting till sunset so I can get a little bit of, to drink and a little, little bit to eat. But God is saying something here. I want you to watch. I'm doing a work for you, and I want you to watch exactly what happened on the Day of, of, the day of Atonement right there in chapter 16. So before we have a discussion, before I finish here, you see, who was the busiest person on that day? High priest. Who was doing most of the work on, the, on that day? High priest. What people were doing on that day? They were just standing there. They were watching. They were praying. They were praising God. But they couldn't do anything. Everything was done for them by the high priest. And of all the days, of all the days in the Bible, of all the holidays, this is one, one of the bloodiest days. This day, the Feast of Atonement, one, one of the bloodiest day. So, brethren, I will stop right now. And I hope we have a nice enriched and productive discussion after during the sermon after sermon discussion we don't have coffee we don't have food you know we don't have anything and we don't have to rush home we can take the time and we can discuss some of this importance how important is in this this day for you and for all of us and how important is this day for God so may God God be with you may God bless you may God enrich our understanding as I said that you know we don't know much about this day we don't know much about this day because this day hasn't been fully yet fulfilled. But we know a lot just to see how important it is. So may God, God be with you. May God bless you. Some of you might not see it till who knows when. So have a wonderful piece of tabernacle. And let's pray that God will all bring us safely back and we'll be all excited and ready to do whatever God has wanted us to do when we come back. Thank you so much. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.org.